0: Welcome to Questions from the
1: Closet. I'm Charlie Bird. And I'm Ben Shalati. Each episode, we discuss a question that we commonly get asked as LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints.
0: We're not trying to answer this question or come to a consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives. Today's
1: question is, am I needed? So Charlie and I are not terribly diverse, and we share many opinions and life experiences. For example, we both dressed up for Harry Potter premieres. However, there are
0: some pretty big differences. We came dressed as different characters. Yeah, who did you dress as? um okay so i dressed as voldemort right <laughs> of course what did you do with your nose i'm a gryffindor i want to be slytherin kind of a hufflepuff whatever listen this was actually amazing so me and my cousins were we were like we were crazy obsessed back in high school and it yeah. was the the final movie deathly Hallows part two and we spent like five months working on our costumes oh my god i got like this special like effects putty and i like put it on my nose and made my nose disappear i had a bald cap i like matched. it took probably like six hours getting everyone ready and they were all dead beaters. and it was so epic like <laughs> i looked i like actually looked like voldemort we had my cousin's grandma like on the other side sew this like gown it was amazing and we show up to the premiere and there's a ton of people there and they thought that we were hired by the theater Like, as actors.
1: So, everyone's,
0: like, taking photos with us. And there's, like... You know, I love the paparazzi. Of course you do,
1: yeah.
0: I I was just loving it. So, there was, like, this huge line of people. And they, like... But we were just... It was so fun. I had these fake nails that I got done. And they were so long that I couldn't, like, text or do anything. Uh But I remember I got some peach rings at the concession stand. And I put a ring on each nail. Uh During the movie, I was just... Eat it off <laughs> my nasty long yellow nail.
1: Well, that sounds really fun. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> that is not what I did at all. <laughs> what would you do? Uh, so one of my friends, this is for the sixth movie, I think. Okay. She thought it'd be funny if we dressed up as characters from different movies. So I dressed up as Julius Caesar. And then yes, I was wearing a toga <laughs> with a shirt under it. Um, and then we had like there, I forget who people were. Someone did dress up as a Harry Potter character, but there was like Indiana Jones and Cinderella this and, is blasphemy and there were like 10 of us in this group and we thought it was really funny. And, and, uh, someone was dressed up as a Harry Potter character and thought was so upset that we weren't dressed up as Harry Potter characters that they yelled like Avada cadaver at us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's pretty intense. It's
0: obvious that you're not a pure blood. That's all
1: I'm going <laughs> <say. laughs> <All I'm laughs> to say. Well, I didn't ha Harry Potter wasn't around when I was in high school. So. But was, but I didn't know about it. Yeah. Anyway. Okay.
0: You're not... It's not helping your case. All right. Anyway.
1: <laughs> so, we both love to dress up for a Harry Potter movie, pr- movie premiere. <laughs> Great. Uh, so, we would like to provide a variety of voices and perspectives, and today we're joined by Claire Dalton. Hello. So, Claire, tell us a little bit about you.
2: Uh, well, first of all, my friends and I have a Harry Potter birthday party every year. <gasps> really? Oh, wow. Yeah. On July 31st, we gather and play games That's and... Fun. ...and have fun. And I... Haven't ever dressed up to the premieres. For Harry's birthday. Yes, for Harry's birthday. Okay. Um, but I did, I have dressed up as Tonks before. Oh yeah, that's um, nice. And I'm a Slytherin. I used to think I was a Gryffindor and then like realized that I was just ignoring, you know, so Slytherin mm. over here. So mm. um, we have some fun with the different games that we play and all that stuff. So yeah, awesome. all about Harry Potter. But, um, and and what are
1: some non-Harry Potter related <laughs> things about your life?
2: There aren't any, that was it. That was <laughs> obsessed. <laughs> um so i'm from arizona I'm an arizona girl um served a mission in spain went to the u of a i teach seminary yeah, it's go, a big chunk of my life go
1: cats bear yep. them.
2: um i come from a pretty large family i have five brothers and then one little sister and i live here in mesa have a house uh, that is all to myself with a pool oh, that I bang. love. Wow. What do you think yeah. about that?
1: <laughs> Some people are better adults than I am. <laughs> so I'm giving up
2: a Saturday by my pool to be here. So that
1: <laughs> That's <is. laughs> really nice of you. Yeah. And, no,
2: I'm really glad to be here.
1: Yeah, and Claire, and I know your dad. I met him yes. years before I met you because he was my institute teacher mm-hmm. in Tucson. Yep.
2: Yeah. And I grew up in the same ward as your friend, Diana Nichols. Uh-huh. So we grew up together. And yeah. I think she was actually at that Harry Potter party that I dressed as Tonks for when I was in That Tucson. sounds like her. She would do that. Absolutely. I honestly
0: think you two probably have more in common
1: than me and Ben do.
0: Like just from the little bit I've heard about you, I'm like,
1: well. <laughs> we're, we're, we're similar ages. We both love Tucson. We have together. a lot of mutual friends. We do. Yeah. So help us understand, like, how you relate to the LGBTQ space.
2: Um, so in the wonderful year of 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, um, I came out to myself. and uh,
1: How old were you then?
2: How old was I? 32 so it's 32 um and actually my story in a non-creepy way really entwines with both of yours so uh in 2020 i was really feeling like there are some things that i kept hitting in my life some walls and i was trying to figure out what that was and how to do it and by the time we got to march um i was really feeling a lot of internal pressure building of like i'm missing something i'm doing everything i can in my life and it's not it's not working out. I'm not feeling the way that I think that I should. It led me to ask some very specific questions and summer of 2020. So this is in the middle of like quarantining. I was teaching from my house. I wasn't really leaving my house a lot, having a lot of conversations with God. And uh in July of 2020, I got the courage to ask, um, is same-sex attraction? That was the f- the softest way that I could phrase it at the time. Like, is this, is this me? Is this a part of my life? Um, and that was the beginning of July 2020. And leading up to that, I'd been hearing about your book coming out, Charlie, and like listening to you on podcasts. And like, why am I so interested and intrigued in the story? And then I had to wait till July 27th to read your book, and that month was so long because I was like, that's I so need nice. this. You know the
1: release date.
2: <laughs> it was. Well, I looked it up this morning to make sure I had my dates oh. right. <laughs> I, we can edit that out, right? We don't have. To no, ever. keep it in. That's fun. <laughs> but no, I both of your books have been so instrumental in me figuring out what I was feeling because in 32 years of suppressing that, mm-hmm. I couldn't come to terms with the fact that that this was my reality, this was my life. It was the impossibility. Yeah. And so I kind of pushed that off. And then like literally, I remember sleepless nights where I would try and find any podcast that you were on and you were doing some interviews and promotions for your book. And I was like, I need more. And then when your book oh finally gosh. came out, I ordered it online, had it delivered to my house because I was still too nervous to like pick it up at Deseret Book. So yeah. scary. And like literally read through and just sobbed there were so many pages and chapters where I just sobbed because you said what I was feeling and didn't have a way to say.
0: Okay. That's so kind. That's like such an honor. It's so
2: true. <laughs> and then your book came out, Ben, and I had already like creeped on your blog for so mm-hmm. many years because you had been suggested it would come up in things because you have the Tucson connection. And, yeah. yeah, and, and Diane, I think had mentioned a couple things and I would look and I would read. Diane's like, like the star of my blog. Ah, she is amazing. Um, But I would just be like, oh, this is interesting or I'm interested because of my kids, my seminary kids, right, Mm -hmm. or like all these things. And then actually reading anything that both of you said with my eyes open going, hey, this is me, like rocked my world. Yeah. I remember floating in my pool in July 2020 listening to um an interview that you were doing and my sister was like this guy's so cool you should talk to him and i was like ah never and then when both your books came out in the same the next year i was sitting with my sister and she's like you should go on their podcast and i was like oh, in no world would i ever be able to be on this podcast and here we are i just texted her and she was like it's happening do you remember that conversation i'm like yes i remember chloe so
1: R- right now is the culmination of everything in your life this is this
2: well, is let, the moment. let's not go too Ooh, far Ben. like not everything but no
0: hey, i think you 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 hinted on something really powerful and important there though that denial is so powerful and it's like the denial it sounds like you were using almost denial as a coping mechanism to not have to look at this because (laughs) like a part of your soul knew that facing this head-on going through this would take a lot of emotional work it would be hard it would be scary it'd be embarrassing it'd be
2: it would destroy everything that i had created uh-huh i felt like my life was very carefully curated mm-hmm. to include and the percentage doesn't matter but in my brain just like 98 percent of me right was like yeah. this is what i can offer god that looks neat and it fits in the box mm-hmm. and it fits the storyline and when god was like but i didn't create 90 percent of you i created all of you claire uh-huh. it shattered everything in my yeah. life and that week in july everything was off the table. Like, do I have a testimony? Do I know that God exists? Like, Mm -hmm. do I know all of this stuff? And I had to put some very key truths back in my foundation. Like, I know that I am a child of God. Like, I know that so deeply in my soul. It's going to be everything I build on. I have heavenly parents who love me. There's another piece. And I believe that everybody in their family has a chance to become like them. And those were the only pieces of my foundation that I had left and everything else was gone. I'm a seminary teacher. I've been active in my ward. So many people are like, oh, Claire is such a rock. And I was just going, but what do I have? And that's what I've had to start building on. Because of that denial, it it absolutely destroyed um my view of being able to see me clearly, mm-hmm. of being able to see who I was. And it worked for a long time. Like I made it work. For sure. But I kept hitting that same wall of something's not quite right. And God was like, yeah, that wall's not for me. Let's break it down.
0: I
1: love the way you described that. Was that that bad, all that denial? Or did it help you? Did it give you time to prepare for when you were ready? Like, talk to us about that. Yeah,
2: I have tried to be very careful in all the wisdom of my 34 years of just being careful to not label something as all or nothing Mm -hmm. and to try and kind of hold space for there being able to be both. So Ben, I think there's absolutely room for both. That I think it did give me some time to grow in my relationship with God, that I got to experience the gospel in a way where I wasn't at odds with it, I was able to see myself as a very solid mainstream member of the church with I think I think allowed some development, but it also was harmful at the same time that I would be sitting in a meeting and feeling like, yes, I'm a hundred percent in, and then that little voice in my head going, "But are you? Mm-hmm. Are you sure?" And in doing all of the right things, I wasn't ever feeling like I was right. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense yeah. in that. Like I'm doing everything and and all the ways that you've already described it, right? The pleading on my knees, the begging, the going to the temple more than any person in a normal life situation does, the wearing holes in my pants, you know, because I'm just on my knees going, God, I will fix this, and him going, That's not, that's not what I've ever asked of you. Mm-hmm. And breaking through that has transformed my testimony, but it's also made that relationship so much closer with my heavenly parents.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, Claire. And you, you said you're, you're a seminary teacher, you're a full-time yes. seminary teacher uh-huh. here in the the Valley of the Sun. <laughs> yep. so it's called, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll take that. Okay. <laughs> in the Gilbert area, if you want to get like specific for seminary, but yeah.
1: Great. Um, so you, you came out to yourself in, in 2020. Talk to us about coming out more publicly.
2: <laughs> Ooh, um, so it – I literally spent like a week in my bedroom alone, uh, just like really, the word that I would use is broken because it did break everything of just having that thought, the first thought that I could think. It was the only time in my life I had allowed myself to think the sentence, I think I might struggle with same-sex attraction. Like that had never, I'd never been able to say that or to think it. And so thinking that really broke through a lot of the boundaries that I had set for myself. And then I had to go, okay, so what do we do with this? So my conversation with God turned into, okay, if this is who I am, what do you want me to do with it? Which is a question that you have in your book, right? Of like, this is who I am. What do you want? And that I borrowed that question of like, I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? And he's like, I've given you all of the places I want you. Like, I want you teaching seminary. I want you doing this. And so it was a, it's been a terrifying process to figure that out. Um, I am a very introverted private person. And so I don't want my story out there. I don't really want people to hear it. And God really prompted me of like, I need you to share who you are, because this is what you've been asking me. You want to make a difference. You want to help people and you need to speak. Um, so I came out to my best friend that same week, which was, um, equally terrifying as it was coming out to myself, you know, and then I just had this internal pressure that I don't know how to explain. I was like, hey, you know what? This is my thoughts. I'm good with me. I don't need to tell anybody else. Mm -hmm. And God was like, no, you need more people than that. So here's this best friend that I've placed specifically in your life who can handle this and it's not going to freak her out. Go tell her. And then the next impression was you need more people and you need to figure out how to tell your family. Mm -hmm. Um, So I planned for the next year and a half of my life okay, here's the list of people I need to come out to because this is going to affect my job. And I want I want my people to really be my people before this gets public. Um, so I have five brothers and they're all married and my little sister and my parents. And it was like just this pressure that I could never get rid of, of I have to tell them, I have to tell them. And I couldn't plan it out, um, but I would get the, like, I woke up on a Saturday and I was like, I'm going to Tucson today and I'm going to tell my parents. And like I think I threw up three times on the drive down. Oh like you know, like th- driving on the freeway <laughs> and I just like, bleh, and then just surprised my parents and I'm like, hey, we're gonna go to lunch. But before that, you know, and had that conversation. And then it would take me twenty four to forty eight hours to recover emotionally
1: hmm. from that,
2: of just wow. so much internalized homophobia of like just so so much shame of saying that, like I had to have a cleanse of my soul mm-hmm. to get that out. And so it was, you know, my parents and my sister and my brothers and their wives and like marching through this until 2021, when I started feeling like I need to tell my faculty and the people on the job side of things. Mm-hmm. Um And I always thought like, if I come out publicly, like it's never gonna be on Facebook, it's never gonna be social media, I don't want that. And you
1: just don't love attention.
2: Yeah, I don't. And um, I don't
1: understand, but I honor, (laughs) I
2: honor who you are. I'm like already like, okay, so for the rest of the day, where can I hide? Like right after this. Um, (laughs) But I kept feeling like you need to do this sooner. Like you need to come out publicly sooner. And I was like, that's a crazy thought. We're not doing that. And it just kept coming back and coming back more forcefully. And um, there were some things that happened in September of last year. Some. Some rumors that got started that came back to me that I realized if I'm coming out to my closest friends and family, the more that circle spreads, the more opportunity for people to hopefully not with malintent, but like things start spreading. And I don't ever want to be in a situation where someone comes at me from a professional side and and challenges my authenticity and mm-hmm. my integrity
0: you lose control of who knows and who
1: doesn't yeah it, it's like when yes. you're a secret keeper in harry potter the yes. more secret keepers there are yeah, the, the totally. less powerful the enchantment is
2: and so someone said well i heard this and i way to go with harry potter, <laughs> <Thank first. you. laughs> um and i realized okay i need to do this so in september of 2021 i came out to my seminary principal and my administrative assistant and my faculty and that started conversations of there's the hierarchy and seminary and institutes. And so it was my principal and then my regional director and then my area director. And then the guy who is in charge of a whole part of the globe up to the head administrator who meets with the first presidency weekly. Mm-hmm. And like that was all on my list of like, yeah. I got to have these oh my gosh. <laughs> because I didn't want anyone to accuse me of doing something secretly in a corner and yeah. being able to hold that against me. Um, And, and to their credit, all of those conversations went so much better than I thought they could. Like so much love and so much understanding and so many people going, Claire, we know you and we love you and we're surprised, but we got your back. How do we do this? And that was so healing for me because there's so much trauma in like, my job is on the line. I'm on the line. My membership's on the line. My authenticity in a classroom is on the line. How do I actually handle that? And all of these guys going, because they're all men, all these guys going, hey, you know what? Like, let's figure this out. Let's have this conversation. How do we do this? Um, so then that led to October. My sister, as I was you know, having these conversations with my people, my sister was like, you should just make a social media post and then like post it. And then you're already going to Mexico over break. So just like head out of town. And I was like, Haha. wait, no, really, that's a good idea. <laughs> so I did, I carefully crafted Um, my words that i wanted to say and and i posted them on instagram and facebook and then i literally handed my phone to my friend who logged me out of social media and we crossed the border for a weekend in mexico and i just spent on the beach decompressing lots of crying ugly crying in the room and then came back to probably a million messages and phone calls and different things but Mm -hmm. um that I felt like that was divinely inspired. And I know that some people will go, God would never inspire you to do that. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to prove my revelation to you, but I got so many promptings and so much confirmation from my heavenly parents that this is what we need you to do. That I have not regretted that. Even the introverted side of me has not regretted that. It sounds
0: like what you're talking about is just this need for a sense of transparency. Yeah. And I think that is, I think that is really beautiful. I think that is like divinely appointed, like being open and transparent and, that like pulls into principles of honesty for me um so i guess you could argue it that way like if if you want to argue your revelation (laughs) (laughs) there's a little piece but no i i just i just think it's really powerful that even though it was scary you you knew that that authenticity that transparency with your family and friends and even within your career was important to you and that you valued that and that you were willing to do that anyway
1: and you know the thank you charlie for that i and i I know that, like, for you, Claire, this is, like, hard to do, like, mm-hmm. being open and talking about your life and everything. And, and But it sounds like you felt like you needed to do that. Like, that was a need. And so, you know, the question for this episode is, am I needed? You know, what was it needed for you to, like, help us understand, like, why it was needed for you to, like, come out publicly?
2: Yeah. Um, I originally thought that one of the thoughts that I had was that this is God's way of proving to me that he still got me and loves me. And I, cause I think that that was one of the hardest parts for me is that I think deep down, I thought I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. And God was like, you walk and I'm walking with you. I've got you. I put you in this career, right? Like I want you here. I want you doing this and I've provided a way. And it was that, you know, walking into the darkness or trying to figure out, I don't, this doesn't, there's not a path, you know? And he's like, I got you. Um, But the side that I didn't think about that I think has been most impactful for me has been the response from the people around me, Mm -hmm. seeing how many people truly um, care and love me on that deeper level. I think that that may be part of the reason for me personally, why it was so hard to have those conversations is because with every conversation where I came out to somebody, I had to face the truth that they, they loved me more than I loved me. Mm. and that was speak more to that that's, <gasps> that's a really powerful it's thought. it's really hard to come out to your siblings or your friends and to see them there's always this moment where all of the reality runs through their eyes and they're like going through all of the panic and and then they they seem to at least for me they got to so fast to, but i know claire <laughs> like like i know you and i love you and they would say that to me and those conversations weren't perfect Some of them said things that I was like, we're going to talk about that later. That's not really helpful, you know, but just so much love that I realized I need to love myself that way. And I've never allowed that because I've been so afraid of this part of me. Mm -hmm. And um, that was the hardest part.
0: Because loving yourself fully, loving that beyond that 98% Mm -hmm. sounds like it. um, It it comes with an acceptance that that's part of you. And that was so scary.
2: Yep. Because all my life I've been taught that 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 can't, that -hmm. can't be a part of you, that can't be what God would create or do. And that I think the term is internalized homophobia, right? Like I had to push through that. And it hurt that the people in my life were more prepared and ready to do that than I was for me. And even when I was saying the words, I could still hear and see and feel all of that shame internally that I had to keep pushing through that. And it was a really slow process for me. People kept asking, like, do you feel better? You came out to so-and-so, do you feel better? And I'm like, no, I want to go throw up again. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like so many of these stories are accompanied with me being sick for like days afterward. And it, it's because I had believed my lie so well. Mm-hmm. that denial was so deeply ingrained and i'm so stubborn as a human that i had to keep pushing through that and to people say no no we, we love you we need you was it's been so hard for me to trust in and to believe
0: well and it almost sounds like there's this element of like survival and like spiritual safety yep. that you're almost because because the way you survived and were good was to to stay within that yeah. realm right yep. and so breaking that and and allowing that fullness of yourself probably felt like a threat to your existence to your survival to your testimony yeah. where everyone else could love that so quickly and and see all of you for you but but for you you're like no that but that's unsafe
2: yeah absolutely unsafe on a core level yeah and it's we, challenging
0: your your core belief about yourself yeah. and about your existence and we
2: have so many um behaviors that are just built into us for defense mechanisms on Mm -hmm. that level and i feel like i've had to face those every day and push through them with the help of a licensed therapist by the way shout Mm -hmm. out to my therapist who's amazing but like having those conversations and figuring that out on that level has transformed me and my testimony has made me so much closer to my heavenly parents and jesus christ than i thought i was when i thought we were so close Mm -hmm. like there's just such a deeper level in our relationship that I can have conversations that I never dreamed were possible before. Yeah. Um, and and Ben, to your question on on why am I needed? Um, so that was that level, right, of I need to figure out how to love me. That's a really big level of how we're going to become like Christ. Yeah, We have to accept and love ourselves on that level. But another level that I didn't think of um, came in the forms of parents and students um, that I had taught or were teaching. So I, I posted and came out on October break, and then I came back, after that week to school. And I didn't know what I was walking into, okay. you know, like, am I, are there going to be picket lines in front of the seminary? Are there going to be no kids in my class? Cause they're all gone. These are all the things that I'm thinking about. And I had that first day back, multiple emails of parents going, Hey, we saw this and we've got you like, we've got your back. Thank you. My brother has come out. My daughter has come out. All of these different things and students who I had taught in years past came back to my office and just said, I want to talk with you and came out to me there. And I saw your post or someone's there were fuzzy, blurry screenshots of my post that had just like (laughs) rampant wildfire went around. Um, And that has been the sweetest thing to me to have these students go. I needed you to say that and to do this so that I have a hope that there's a place for me in the church because you're creating it. And that wasn't a responsibility I wanted, but that has made all the difference for me to keep talking and to keep going and to get through the hard days is that there are people who are going I needed to hear your story coming from you because I know you and I know the path that you've walked to trust that I have a chance for a path to walk with God. Yeah.
1: yeah. Could you tell us that story about the former student of yours who was at BYU and saw your post?
2: So that was October. I'm trying to get the timeline right. In November, I got a text from a former student who is now at BYU and, and their text was like, I I, I sent this a couple of times. I wrote it and then I decided not to um, send it to you. But, just really said, I'm at BYU, I'm a closeted LGBTQ student. And then a parenthesis, like, please don't ever tell anyone that, you know. And and they just said, I um this year has been really dark in being at BYU. And there's such a pressure here for dating and for marriage and for just the arguments that happen seemingly almost all the time on social media around BYU. Mm-hmm. And they just said, I I haven't been able to connect with god i haven't felt good and and i've i've thought of ending my life and um and they said on the night when i was having that thought i got a text from a friend who had saw your post and sent me the screenshot and and your post kept me here another day and and showed me that there was some hope for hey maybe this isn't everything maybe there's more space for my voice than i thought and Mm -hmm. um that text (laughs) just burst my heart wide open that there was another human who was thinking that their life didn't mean anything who listened to something that i had to say that took so much of my soul and so much stress and anxiety to write and to share that one person was like that mattered to me seemed like the biggest i love you for my heavenly parents of why i felt that push of why it needed to be that month and why I had that terrible September and that timeline suddenly made so much sense to me.
1: Yeah. You know, and Claire, we're, we're friends, but we're very different people personality wise. Mm -hmm. And you like, don't want to do any of this. Like you (laughs) don't want to talk about your story. You don't want to talk about your life. You just want to like live your life. Yeah. And, um, but you are so needed and, you know, I'm, and I'm just like, Part of me is like, sorry, I don't, I don't know. Like, like, I just wish things were easier for you and you could just like live the life you want to live. But I'm just so grateful you're willing to take the, like, you would be willing to step into the space that has been so uncomfortable for you. Mm-hmm. And then to see so clearly the blessings um, that, that you being open has provided for other people. And, you know, for every one person you hear from, you know, how many do we not hear from who have also been affected?
2: And I hope you both know that, that, that story, you're a part of it. Because you gave me the courage to do what I needed to do. And so I think that that's part of that community about why are we needed. We're needed because there are people who are hurting on a soul level and need to look around and see that people are in the trenches with them and fighting the same things. And as we fight to create this space, there are people coming along who are going to get to step into that and not fight for the space, but broaden it. And enjoy that space Mm -hmm. and go, this space has always needed to be here. We're not crazy. We're not insane. This is a part of God's plan too. And further that conversation. And if I get to step in that space for one person, I may complain about it. I may hate it, but I will (laughs) do it and I will grow to love it because that's really what matters to me is that people feel seen and heard and loved and a part of Heavenly Father's plan because we all are. Yeah.
1: Okay. So Claire, you were talking to us about how, you know, this, you didn't want to do this post, but you felt prompted to when you did. And that was very needed. Um, You're also a seminary teacher and like being like the gay seminary teacher. Well, there's also (laughs) Alec Barrow. Yes, there is. It was a great person that I still need
2: to meet up with and absolutely loved that episode. I, I cried just hearing that there was like a brother out there who was like could relate to me on that level
1: yeah sweet well what's it like being like the gay seminary teacher
2: um that was a caution that when i talked to my employers they said we don't want you to be the gay seminary teacher and i laughed because i was like in no world do i want that title like that's not (laughs) one that i'm going to promote um but my question to them was how are you going to handle this conversation so that that doesn't become my title because that's not on me I think that they're worried about me wanting to use it and promote it. And and my question back was just, we have to figure out how to do this then because people are going to latch onto that because it's easy and we like titles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have had so many people go, well, I heard this story about the gay seminary teacher and I kind of inside go, that's all I am now. You know, we, we boil people down to stereotypes. And so another part of that question that we've been studying with, am I needed, that I've been pondering on is, do people need... Claire like do you need me as a human in this space or is it we need Claire because she's a seminary teacher or we need Claire because she's gay and when you only need someone for a part of who they are that is going to be felt um, on an emotional level people can tell the difference when people like need you for you or when they need you for a reason yeah
1: and what does that feel like for you to feel like like your title is what matters not that you are Claire
2: it it feels like stepping out of a closet into a box sometimes um, that people want you to look and sound a certain way that is going to feel comfortable for their circle. Mm -hmm. And, and I, have had a lot of conversations with, um, with leaders and with, with my employer and, and good conversations, but they're so worried about what they see as like this radical extreme side of people are going to try to use you for this, gay agenda or different things that you hear right yeah like they're gonna use you as a weapon and my immediate comeback which i think was prompted by the spirit in that conversation was you're worried about that side and i have to worry about that side and all of the other sides Mm -hmm. and they said well other sides i said well what about extremely conservative people in the church who want to use me as a weapon that way or even church media You know, we have some of these videos that they've put out and people that they want to go bear your testimony in this moment. And now you can never change it. You have to keep living what this video portrays or what this looks like. Mm -hmm. And and I want to be free of all of those because I just want to be clear. And and that has been a fight because there's so many assumptions and stereotypes brought in by everybody. We all do it. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be anybody's assumption or stereotype. I want to be me. Yeah.
0: Um, how do you find spaces where you can just be you?
2: Um, I think, I think voicing it to people allows people to challenge some of their assumptions. So in telling my family and friends of just like, Hey, this is what I'm feeling in this space or with this conversation. I don't like that. I don't want that allows people to then go, am am needs. am I bringing this? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I like that. How
2: else? Um, and having to have one-on-one conversations with people which they sometimes really fight against. But just when people come at me with, well, how can you how can you do this and be a member of the church? You know, and you've had those conversations, right? They go so Never. much better one-on-one <laughs> than they do with someone who doesn't actually want to listen to you. They yeah. just want you to stop challenging their beliefs. Mm-hmm. They want the controversy or they want the fight, the struggle, the wrestle to be gone. Yeah. And having to come up with creative ways to allow those conversations to keep happening when a parent sends an email and they don't send it to me they send it to my principal how do I address that concern in a way that's going to allow that parent or that family to grow Mm -hmm. instead of to just make it a me versus them
0: well it's interesting too because it's that's like removed from you right and it sounds like that's the whole problem like there's this piece of you that's removed from you rather than seen as congruent and I really appreciate you kind of diving into both the blessings and the challenges of being needed in the space. Because on the one hand, like there is that former student that's at BYU and who knows you and and needs that lifeline. But then there's other people who don't have as much proximity or knowledge about who you are. And it is easy to just be like, Oh, a gay seminary teacher. Ooh. And then that, that pulls in all the, yeah. the stereotypes and assumptions. Mm-hmm. And I actually feel that often um, just in this space, like, it it's really, I, I think that's the part of the space that feels the most difficult to me, or is the most draining, when I'm used as an idea. Um, and so, I, I guess just for me, thinking about how I've managed this, and I all, don't always do it well. I like get burnt out, or get mad, or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. there's so many emotions. But when I step back into the relationships that really do know me, like. My brother, my friends, my mom, you know, like those people where I don't have to be gay Charlie or church Charlie or Cosmo Charlie, like anything, yeah. like any of the the pieces of me that people pick and they're like, oh, that's interesting. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, spill the or, tea on that one. <laughs> exactly. But when I'm just me, it feels so much more holistic and it then none of those identities or none of the incongruences that people could see stress me out because I'm just me.
2: And that is where revelation in its purest form is allowed to flow and to be received. When you feel whole, that connection with God just seems to be so stronger from what I found. Mm -hmm. And in talking to anybody in my life who's like, you know, I'm going through this struggle and because I hit rock bottom, it allowed me to connect more to God is kind of a a story that we hear a lot. But when, when someone feels whole and loved and seen... They can build a real relationship with heavenly parents. And I think that's crucial in our world of so many people who are doing the stuff that they're supposed to. And there's no foundation underneath it because they're not feeling anything because they're thinking that I can only go to God when I'm feeling temple worthy or when I'm feeling my best. I can't bring him into my dark spaces And, and when we allow that to change that relationship, I think just explodes with Mm -hmm. revelation and a connection that is missing when we're going to the altar with 98% of us or just with a part.
1: Yeah. And I, I have experienced that in a very similar way of like, once I'm like, okay, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do like my life has not turned out the way I expected. I just want to turn out the way you want it to like that has really opened me up for revelation and, and a beautiful life. Yeah. Uh, I want you to talk a little more about, you You talked about parents emailing the principal, but not emailing you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I personally hate that. Mm-hmm. Like when that kind of stuff happens to me, that I, I'm talked about, but not talked to. Yeah. And of course, I can't talk to everyone who has concerns. But if there's a concern about me, I would love to just like talk to that person and like, Like what's your concern? Let's let's come let's figure out what the problem is. Mm -hmm. Um, because being talked about and not talked to for me is really, really frustrating. Um, what's that like for you? Like do you do you prefer to like not have the interaction or what's it like for you?
2: It's damaging. It's damaging to to how I feel and that sometimes that that fragile confidence that I have, because it's it's still so new and it's so raw to let people see a part of me that is still so fragile in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And um, I've had to work really closely with my my faculty and my colleagues have been out of this world amazing at two different schools that I've been at and just so much love and so much going, how do we handle this? How do you want this? And it changes. There have been times where I've told my principal, I don't want to know about the phone calls or emails that come in. I trust you. We've talked about how to handle them. I want you to handle them because I don't have the bandwidth right now to do it. I'm trying to teach these kids in my class, <laughs> and I can't be handling it, knowing whose parents said what and trying to mm. filter that. I can't do that right now, but there's also been times where I've asked for it and said okay i'm I'm in a different place. Can you tell me? Can we go have those conversations with them or he's come to me and said, "Hey, so and so has said this. do you want to go together? Let's have that one on one so it I, I I wish I wish that parents or anybody with a concern students, anybody in my life with a concern, would come to me and come softly and kindly and go, I am so confused or this pisses me off or whatever it is that makes somebody mad and just go, I don't get this. Can you and I talk about it face-to-face? That is where communication happens Mm -hmm. and it allows for growth. And I think when we don't do that, when we skirt around and we tattletale and we do different things, we are blocking the growth because that's Mm -hmm. a form of going, I don't want to grow. I want the problem fixed. Yeah. So I'm going to talk to the manager. I'm going to like, you know, and and I think that it shows an immaturity in trusting because that's a faith conversation right there, right? If I'm going to walk in and I'm going to go, I don't get where you're coming from as a member of the church, but I respect you. I want to have this conversation. Can we learn together? Is such a different conversation than you're living a lifestyle that disagrees with church doctrine and I need to get my kid out of this class. Mm-hmm. Such a different tone. And one, we can learn together, and I'm not going to convince you of anything, but I'm going to hopefully allow you to have, because I believe Christ has my back. Mm -hmm. So if I believe that in those situations, then I believe the Holy Ghost is going to come in and do his work with you. Mm -hmm. And that's your work. I don't need to, you know, micromanage that. But when someone comes in and just goes, this is a problem, I want to fix it. Then we close the door to learning and spirit and revelation. And we're not going to get that connection. And that's when we become dogmatic. Mm-hmm. That's when we become inspired by fear. And I think that that closes our ability to learn and grow when we're choosing fear over faith.
1: Yeah, definitely. So Claire, the question that we're talking about today is, am I needed? Who do you need?
2: Who? That's a really good question. And, and my obvious go-to answer is I needed a real relationship with my heavenly parents. That was the number one that I needed for me. And I needed to trust my savior. Like those were the first two that I needed for me to have those in place. Um, and as I continue to grow and to learn and to move through, I need people who are willing to have the hard conversations. Mm-hmm. In in the gospel in the church with themselves in whatever realm not just lgbtq and not just church related but the people who are willing to go i want to wade into the unknown and sit in the dissonance that's going on and learn i we need those people and we need those people to not just be sitting silently but we need those people to sp- speak up mm-hmm. and to to voice that that's a concern they have and i know that's asking a lot but like i'm here with you i'm in the arena to borrow the wonderful analogy from uh, Brene Brown of like, you're in the arena, you're fighting, those are the people that matter and those are the opinions that I'm going to listen to. Yeah. Are the people who are wading through that with me instead of throwing taunts and insults in from the crowd.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I don't know what it's like to be a gay seminary teacher. Well, I was gay and a seminary teacher, but <laughs> nobody knew. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that is
2: an interesting perspective, Ben. Like, can you imagine being in that space As a seminary teacher and openly gay, I just have you thought about that?
1: I actually had this really awkward moment where I, while I was teaching seminary in Tucson uh, part-time, I had applied for a job to teach religion at Mm BYU-Idaho. And in my like cover letter, I like mentioned that I was gay and I asked my supervisor to write a letter of recommendation. And so I emailed him this, this letter I'd like the cover letter I'd written, but he hadn't read it. I didn't know that. So I came to meet with him to like talk about his letter and then he read it in front of me. And like learned that I was gay while I was sitting there by reading this cover mm-hmm. letter, and he was really surprised. And the way he responded was by then setting me up with somebody. I was like, "Oh well, you know, this can, this is okay. Like, there's this woman I know. Why don't you take her on a date?" I was like, "Okay," and then I did. I went on the date. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, 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 I was 28. I was young, you know. I'm 28. <laughs> I, <laughs> point point proven so young, Charlie. <laughs> um but yeah that would have been so terrifying you know um it really would have been quite terrifying at the time uh to to come out and so you know it must be like so i could i can just like relate a little bit but not really know what it's like to be you but i know it's like to work at byu and, and people know that i'm getting people not to be okay with that yeah. and for the feedback i get and I, i'm really lucky to have like uh, a very supportive, uh, you know, co- co-workers who, who are just like so kind and loving. And, and so, so you know, there's like an army of moms who love you, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yes. What could they do to support you and, and, and make your life as a seminary teacher a little easier?
2: Um, this kind of ties back to your last question that I was just thinking as you're you explaining that of just what do I need? I need people to practice humanizing each other. And what I mean by that is um, we sometimes fit people in the stereotype. So I'll give you some examples of just kind of maybe some light ones as just being a seminary teacher in general. So when I, um, I actually did pre-service training up in Utah, so I taught at Copper Hills High School and Bingham High School before I got hired and sent down here to Gilbert. And, um, and in teaching up there, I, uh, <laughs> it was cold. In Utah, and I'm a little Arizona girl, right? So, scraping ice and snow off of my windshield and car was a thing that I was not practiced in doing, <laughs> and and I hated it. And then you get in your car, and your car is cold. And so, I would make a very hot, hot chocolate before I would go out to my car, and that would go and I'd ice it off or de ice it, whatever, and then in, walk into work with my hot chocolate. And I got a mug that would keep it cold or keep it warm longer, and it happened to be white with a green like, you know, squishy handhold. So it looked kind of like a Starbucks cup. Uh-huh. And I was told by another faculty member, you probably shouldn't walk into this building drinking that. And I was like, oh, it's hot chocolate. I'm so cold every day. And it was like, well, you have to avoid the very appearance of evil. Someone could think you're going to Starbucks. And I was like, well, Starbucks sells hot chocolate. Like not a promo. <laughs> it's not good. But like, you know, they were just saying you can't do that because someone could think you're drinking coffee. Um, and I, in my head, I was just like, that doesn't feel right that now that I'm trying to do this career, there are certain things that I have to cut out so that someone can't make an assumption that is completely false. We're going to uphold that attitude. And instead of changing the culture, I have to change. Mm-hmm. Another one was at a different high school where um, my friends and I would go up the canyon, Big Cottonwood Canyon, for like bonfires and stuff. And and my go-to is I would bring IBC root beer. Like I just love ibc root beer and so after school it is and i went to walmart (laughs) and i went and grabbed enough for you know like 20 people in my cart and the walmart happened to be down the school down the road from the school that i went to and i got a a parent coming in the next day with a picture going my kid saw his seminary teacher (gasps) and it looks like you're buying beer and i laughed and i'm like oh it's ibc root beer here's why and they were like this isn't funny Like, you can't buy this because you're saying that my kid, that they now can. And I was like, that's not what I was saying. I was saying I wanted IBC Root Beer to go up the canyon. Uh And so then there was that shame of like, oh, my gosh. Well, now here's the list. It grows. I had another conversation with a parent who called and was furious my first year of teaching because – A kid had come in and asked if I had watched a Marvel movie that had just come out. And I was like, oh yeah, I saw it. And we talked about it a little bit, moved on. And um, another kid in class, their family had a rule that they couldn't watch those movies because their parents had decided that they weren't good. So a parent called in, why did you tell my kid that they can watch these movies? And I was like, I never said that, you know? Mm -hmm. And just, they were so mad that, well, you can't watch these movies or go into this theater and watch this because someone could think that now that that's okay. And that has made me very sensitive Because now I have to extremely edit my life because someone could use me as the example instead of Christ. And that's damaging. Hmm. And so now I can't be a human, you know, like I can't just live my life because people think I have to wear a dress every day. I sleep in my office. I never leave the seminary building. I would never, you know, like I go running on the side of the road. I play basketball with my brothers. Like I do all of these things that are human that people are like, oh, that's so weird
0: you wear shorts.
2: Yeah, basketball shorts. Oh! Everyday Charlie <laughs> <laughs> t-shirts, basketball shorts, sweatshirts. Well, and now people are like, "Oh, it's cuz she's a lesbian." And I'm like, "Well, actually no, it's just because I like them." But, you
0: know. I like that you said like they, they confuse you as the like the example rather than Christ. And that's just that's powerful. Like Mike drop that. Think about that, everybody. But yeah. also just that that kind of like social critique of um wanting other people like being in charge of other people's assumptions. That's so hard, Yeah, that's so hard. I'm so sorry that you're going through that.
2: And I think we do that to each other. Like we do that about our bishop. Mm-hmm. We do that about people holding callings. We do that about our church leaders and apostles. Mm-hmm. And we do that to each other. If, if someone has a child who comes home early from a mission, we make certain assumptions. And we're trying to fight that, and I see that fight, but we need to make that more overt. Or when someone stops coming to church, we make some assumptions. Mm-hmm. And and when we do that, we can say everybody belongs in the church; all are alike unto God. We can say that, but what we're doing is creating a box that is the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Of you have to stay away from anything that's dangerous, and that's not the gospel that Christ preached.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it's hard to live in a glass house. Yeah. Where everyone's watching you and has expectations for you.
2: And is waiting for a single crack to appear. Because if there's one crack in that glass house, then everything that's been done that's good is now just canceled. Mm
1: -hmm. And now you've got a big rainbow. I guess I wouldn't call it a crack.
2: (laughs) Shattered. (laughs) (laughs) Shattered. A
1: rainbow prism. (laughs) Yeah. So, Claire, um, as as we get close to wrapping up, um, where are some places that you have felt needed?
2: Um, I have felt needed in the friends who have come out of the woodwork to overtly make it clear that, like, they need me, they love me, and let's have these conversations. Um, The people who are going out of their way to just ask me, like, not just how are you doing, and I expect a fine, but like, no, how are you really doing? Tell me the good, the bad, the ugly, and I'll hold space for all of it. Mm. Um, That has shown that I'm that I'm needed and that helps me to feel it.
0: I noticed when you were talking about coming out to your siblings that you said they didn't do everything right. There was, you know, there was holes there was approaches that could have been better that weren't. Um and yet that conversation was still really meaningful. Absolutely. And yet you still felt needed. Yeah. And I think that's important. There's a lot of people who are like, I am scared to do this. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to offend somebody. But I just I promise you it's so much worse. Inaction is so much worse than than good-hearted action that maybe isn't perfect.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in my perspective and I can't speak to anyone else's angle but for me everybody gets grace mm-hmm. because nobody can say anything to me that I haven't already thought to myself. Exactly. You know, and like I have gone through every terrible, awful, horrific scenario and applied that all to me with an extra dosing of shame on the side. And so everybody who comes to me, no matter where you're at, everybody gets a little bit of grace because I've been there. And and I will walk with you through it as much as I can, but you have to give me an entry point. If you come at me with anger and hatred, then the only thing I have to work with is your anger and hatred. And so that really limits the options of the conversations that we can have. And if someone comes at me with just even a grain of hope or faith that we find in Alma 32, right? That little seed of hope and faith, if you come at me with that, then, then we can grow that together with Christ because we've left space for him. And so I guess what's needed is people opening the doors of their testimony and asking the question, is there anything that this person can teach me? Mm-hmm. Even if I don't understand them at all, they're a child of God. What can they bring to the table that I can't? And I think if we ask that question, it changes things. Yeah. Or even the question of, could this person be right? When I go to conversations, people are speaking things to me that I'm like, that doesn't sound right. I just go, but what if this person is right and understands something I don't? It changes my tone. I can't change theirs, but I can change me. And if I'm thinking there's something this person can teach me, I approach that situation so different. It's versus, it's kind of like being allowed versus being needed, right? Like I'm a big sports person. And so if I was going to be a coach and I needed a spot on my team, if I need a point guard... I'm going to find a point guard. I'm not going to find someone to be like, there's a spot on the bench. Here's a, here's a jersey. Be quiet. Don't make any trouble. And we kind of think sometimes with LGBTQ um, conversations that we're being welcoming when we're like, hey, put on the jersey, sit on the bench, but don't make any noise. Mm-hmm. But when someone looks at you and goes, I need you on the court. Like I need you in the game. I coach that player differently than the person that I'm like, don't make any waves. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between allowed and needed.
1: Yeah, it's not that God has really put you on the court.
2: <laughs> yeah. And guess what? I make mistakes every single day, and He's not bothered by any of them because He has something to work with, which mm-hmm. is my agency, which is bringing something to the table. And I don't handle everything right. I don't do everything perfectly, but I've never been expected to from Christ. But He asks that I'm listening to Him, and I think that that conversation is there. Mm-hmm. And I think that things get really out of balance when we focus on our actions, and I'm trying to defend Christ. When I'm not even having that conversation with Christ in real time. Yeah. So many horrific things have been done in our world in the name of of God, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that gets changed and that gets saved when instead of I'm going to defend God, I'm going to actually go talk to God about what he wants for me. Mm. Totally changes the game. Yeah.
1: And and I know this wasn't your intention, but it sounds like your coming out gave people a lot of opportunities to like think about something. And some people, instead of thinking about it, just reacted. Yeah. And that's been hard for you. And pro- and unfortunately for them, uh, an, opp- an opportunity they had to, to learn and grow they didn't feel ready right to take.
2: I don't want to be the rock that anybody has to break against, you know? Like that's my big fear that someone is going to run into me and I'm somehow a catalyst for change for them is not a comfortable place for me. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to be comfortable there. If it helps people come to Christ, then that is where I want to be. Yeah. This is from Stephen Covey from his book, The Divine Center, and it has just been one of the things that guides me in my life. And so it's a long quote, but I'll shorten it. But it just he does a great job of explaining this, where he says, Most of us think uh, we see the world as it is, but I believe this is not the case. We see each other not with the eye, but with the soul. Each person sees the world not as it is, but as he or she is. When you describe to another person your spouse, your child, or your friend, or a church leader, are you conscious that you are revealing yourself? That is, you're relating your perceptions rather than describing the person, how the adversary must rejoice in his ability to distort the maps in people's minds through either disobedience or tradition. He almost gets a stranglehold on them simply because most people never question their maps. They assume that, that the way that they see it is the way that it is. And then he says, I'm persuaded that intellectual pride is more basic and serious than either social or material pride. And so I guess one of the things that I see that we need in our world is people who are willing to challenge the maps in their head to ask the question of what are the gaps in my testimony, my understanding of knowledge, who am I excluding instead of assuming that that's for somebody else? Like, no, really, who am I excluding in my life? Where can my testimony grow? Where can the ongoing restoration be seen and who could add a a depth of perspective or meaning to my life that i'm not seeing right now i think if we check ourselves first individually one by one christ can do so much more work than if we wait for something to come just one statement top down and that's going to change everything
1: yeah Yeah. claire thank you for sharing so much of your your heart today with us you know as you've been talking just the the feeling i've been having is like you are needed Like, obviously, like, like there's evidence that, that, that you being here is needed. And, and, you know, I I come back all the time on this podcast to first Corinthians 12, where it talks about the body of Christ. And it says, there's a verse there that says that God has placed every member exactly where he wants it to be. And, you know, I've no doubt that God's placed you exactly where he wants you to be. And, you know, I don't know what, what things are going to look like for you going forward. Um, but one of the, one of the pains I've had, like seeing you in this space is like, you really don't want to be here. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I also see that, that it's, that it's, it's been taxing on you. And, you know, I, I know there are other members of the body of Christ that will be there to support you and, and, and to strengthen you as everyone works together to strengthen each other. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, in the coming months and years, uh, the other people who who are inspired to do really tough things and to step into places that they might not want to be, um, because there are things that Claire Dalton can do that no one else can do.
0: And to hold that space, you're talking about like holding that there while more people come and then we can broaden it. And I think you are a space holder right now. And it's, gosh, I can't imagine how hard it is for you. But I'm so grateful, like genuine gratitude that you're willing to step in and hold that for other people until that can be broadened and that we can have a little bit more love and understanding in this part.
2: And it helps that we get to do it together. You know, like just everybody's got their own little corner of holding the space. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) I'm here, we're holding it. There's a a scene in Aladdin, King of Thieves, the third one that no one has watched. I've actually watched that. It's so good, but... Uh,
0: the genie- dad is so cute, right? I, 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 I had a, okay, I have a crush on Aladdin's Absolutely. dad, okay.
2: <laughs> but during the scene when they're destroying the wedding scene, the genie is on the ceiling trying to hold the ceiling. And he eventually realizes, I can't do this. And he leaves and there's just like a genie space and there's nothing around him of the ceiling. And I was watching that earlier this month and I thought, yeah, that is what it feels like. When I forget to open my eyes and connect with the other bodies of Christ, like the other Mm -hmm. members. And I think that that's what I'm learning is that I need to trust that I'm needed and that I need other people. Mm -hmm. And how do we let people in and how do we do that? That is just the gospel of Jesus Christ 101. Christ was so amazing in his lifetime and he allowed people to help him, Mm -hmm. he allowed them to serve him and to do those. And so we have to figure out how to do that in our spaces to let. Other people come in and to lift and to help. I think it all lifts us a little bit closer, design into Christ. Beautiful,
1: Beautiful. love that. Thank you, Claire. Thank you so much for coming on, and sharing your wisdom and your in your life with us.
2: Thanks for letting me be here.
0: <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. If you have enjoyed this or other episodes, please consider leaving a review, following us on Instagram, YouTube, or Facebook at Questions from the Closet, or sharing this podcast with someone you love. And as always, please remember that we do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University. We're not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think
1: or what to do. You heard three perspectives, and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and hear a wide variety of experiences. If you would like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Until, Until next, next time. time.